1: NY or text hope NY in New York.
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, football fans across the country and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, the post-Ohio State winning the Big Ten Championship podcast, the post-Ohio State finding out it, in fact, ended up number two in the college football playoff rankings behind LSU rigged ballot box. Uh, but I digress. We can talk about that plenty. There's a lot to talk about, and we're going to get into it. And as you see, my uh, cut up runneth over. Uh, this was, last week was the final episode of season Us. one. Season one. So I can say oh, all I want to today. I ended up with a grand total of $152, $152. I'm going to round that up to 160 I love it. Because that's just the kind of guy I am. It's coming all out of my pocket. And some of you have expressed some interest in uh, joining me in this venture, which all of this money is going to the Ryan and Christina Day Fund, uh, which is basically out of Nationwide Hospital and basically looking at adolescent and, in and, essence, and youth, mental health uh, problems, mm-hmm. etc. And uh, if you want to help match this, I'm going to give you an address later in the show where you can uh, send your donations uh, to the uh, Ryan and Christina Day Fund. We'll get to that later. Yeah, football We have more first. important business to deal with here. We're going to talk a little bit about where Ohio State ended up in the college football playoff rigged uh, in a minute. First, let's do a little bit of a recap. Uh, by the way, this is my Hi. cohort, Boston. You call him Austin Ward. I call him Boston for all kinds of reasons. But uh, <laughs> Boston, uh, number one, just give me a quick a quick reaction to Ohio State being number two uh, in rigged in the final college football playoff rankings.
3: Well, I, I'm not sure how quick I can keep it. I think it's an absolute. Well, I'm timing you. An absolute joke, um, but that's a Quick enough. Yeah. Okay,
2: number two, there.
3: Ohio State is going to play uh, Clemson. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. They're in the Ohio field. State.
2: Ohio State is 0 and 3 versus Clemson historically. They're in the field every time Ohio State has played Clemson. Though something bad has happened. Right. 78 Gator Bowl. Charlie Bauman comes off with the interception, and Woody Hayes punches him in the throat. The next morning, Woody Hayes is fired as the Ohio State uh, coach. 28-year uh, career done. Um, 2013, Ohio State, that was a great Orange Bowl. Did you watch it? Yeah, I yeah. sure did. You weren't around then. I but, was uh, around. I've been here since 2000. Oh, that's right. That's right. You were, yeah.
3: I just didn't know you as well back then. Just uh, the the one that broke Braxton. Uh, exactly. It, you're talking Last about game, Braxton that played at quarterback. And, and everything he gave and, and Philly Brown muffing the punt to turn it. I mean, that's – People look at that game, and I think they think it was worse than it was. Ohio State should have won that game. Dude, they should have won that game. They,
2: um, they're re- they're they're
3: receiving a punt already up by two scores. It, I know that there's one more game that you're about to mention. There's three of them, and this this Clemson trilogy of disaster. Yes, but I think one thing that you have to look at is that all of them have wound up bringing change, and some of it wound up being really good. The 2013. Uh, Urban Meyer realized he had to make some changes on defense. And he did that, brought in Chris Ashley to a national championship. Twenty sixteen, uh, you get shut out, you bring what do changes, you do? you bring you Ryan Day. Okay. <laughs> now at some point you can't just use Clemson as a springboard and, and go through a bunch of pain. At some point you gotta turn it around. Yeah. And Ryan Day's got a chance to do that. I think when I'm well, yeah you
2: know, they also brought you know they also brought in Kevin Wilson. You yeah. Know, so
3: they, they and they made so they made changes. Yes. And they have worked. They've addressed the things that went wrong. Uh, I don't know at this point what it is that Clemson could expose because Ohio State, uh, as I've said since about week one, they're the most complete team in the country. I thought they should be number one, but it doesn't matter. I do agree, what, and it's obvious what Ryan Day and Jay Sean Cornell and Robert Landers and Josh Myers said after the uh, you know rankings were out yesterday. you got to win twice. They're probably going to have to beat two really good teams. Absolutely. are definitely going to have to beat two really good teams. Absolutely. Maybe one of them wouldn't have been Clemson if they were number one. Could have been either LSU or Clemson, which would have been a favorable draw. Uh, but you still have to, Oklahoma's not uh, chopped liver out that's there. That's what I've been telling everybody. So you're still going to have to do it. You're number one. You're number two. You're number three. You're number four. You are in the mix, and you got to win. Two and here's games. the
2: here's the bottom line: whether you lose in the first round or you lose in the final, you still didn't win the national championship. Yeah. So that's the way it is. That's the way playoffs are, and most people basically forget about who finishes number two most of the time, of course, unless it's Alabama. They're definitely going to forget about three and four. Yeah. So you've got to,
3: you know, you put it all into that Fiesta Bowl. And I think that this Fiesta Bowl is actually going to be the national championship game. I think that both of these teams, Ohio State and Clemson, are, are more than capable of exploiting LSU's flaws on defense. I do not buy whatsoever that they have fixed their defense because they beat a Georgia team with a suspect quarterback and no wide receivers yeah. And a lack of a running game. Yeah. I, I don't buy it at all.
2: Uh, yeah, I've, 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 as I said on Channel Ten the you know, other night, Wall-to-Wall Sports. Uh, I think the top two teams are actually playing in the in the Fiesta Bowl, I, yep, I and uh, you could have rated them either way. I, I do, I do agree with Dabo Sweeney that they have been a little bit underrated based on who they've played. But with the exception of one game, North Carolina, which by the way they easily could have lost, with the exception of that game. They have been pretty damn impressive uh, considering all the new guys they brought along, especially defensively. And then I think Ohio State, you know, you could. we'll get into that in a minute, but Ohio State uh, winning every game by double figures, even a game that looked like they were in trouble in, which was the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin, ended up winning that game by double figures. Is about as impressive a feat as I've ever covered at Ohio State.
3: Yeah. Uh, so
2: there's two things there. I don't – we're going to hear about this from
3: Dabo all month about how they weren't appreciated. I, I actually, well, how about
2: but how about Ryan saying they're not as
3: yeah, appreciated. You've got, you've got two teams right now that believe that they're slighted. Yeah. And I think uh, for Clemson, I don't really understand why I, it, it's a motivational trick and Dabo's going to preach and we're going to hear all about that in Phoenix. But if anybody else had played their schedule, I mean, you don't know how good they are. Right. Know that but, Clemson's but- a defending national championship. I think they've got the benefit of the doubt because they've played a group of five schedule when you look at the strength of it. Yeah. So you don't know if, like, Memphis had gone 13-0 and played the exact same teams that, that
2: Clemson did you'd say, where's the top 25 win? We don't yeah. know if they can compete well, on the Well, I same continued field. at one point this year that the AAC was basically a tougher conference it absolutely, than the ACC. I think it was. I think I stand on that, you know, and uh, uh, they didn't have that super team at the top. They had two de- decent, decent teams yeah. in Memphis, Memphis and uh, Cincinnati, but uh, without a doubt, Clemson. Is, is a formidable opponent. I mean, yeah, and, that's, it, and I'm not saying that at all. And I and I base that on just check the re, just check the recruiting rankings oh, over the last yep. seven years. Same way with Ohio State. That's why I put these two teams on a different level, barely different level than LSU and Oklahoma. Because LSU and Oklahoma, as you pointed out, still have some flaws that you can see, obviously. Yeah. And uh, you know, Oklahoma, Alex Grinch has helped them fix their defense a little bit. <laughs> Not st- as
3: much as he gets credit yeah. for.
2: I still wouldn't say it is leak proof, <laughs> and uh, and then LSU, you know, we talk, we'll, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I don't want to get into that. Okay, so uh, you
3: asked me about how impressive that Saturday night rally was, twenty seven to nothing in the second half. Yeah, I, there were there was great reason for Ohio State to be concerned. Uh, they just didn't seem to have the energy. Uh, they weren't playing defensively at the same level that they had all year with eleven guys going to the football, and they but they knew that, and I think. You know, Josh Myers and some other guys alluded to this after the game that it was hard for them to go through three straight weeks of this top ten. I'm not making excuses for them, but when you get to that last one and you're trying to get yourself up for it and ready for the challenge and that other team is capable of punching you in the mouth, uh, just like the other two teams were, it's hard, it gets harder and harder to get off the mat, and it took Ohio State a
2: longer time to do that. But the analogy I would use is, uh, this was like watching Muhammad Ali fight Joe Frazier. Muhammad Ali was the overall better, moving, uh, formidable Mm -hmm. heavyweight champion. Joe Frazier was, I'm going to come straight at you, and I'm going to throw uppercuts and punches. You're going to punch me in the head. I'm going to take it just so I can knock you out. Mm -hmm. And this was like watching Joe Frazier come out aggressively, which was Wisconsin in that first half, and charging for the most part right at Ohio State. They did change up some things. They made some real wrinkle changes, especially offensively on that first touchdown run by Jonathan Taylor pulling the tackle around and getting right into tough Borland there and it looked like the B-gap yeah. or A-gap or B-gap. But in, you know, you and you and Zach Boren broke that down uh, greatly. But it was like these little subtle changes. I kept asking guys all week, how do you change? How do you change your approach to something uh, when these, these little subtle things are what make the difference from the first time around? Right. They did make that. You got to give them a tremendous amount of credit for that. And uh, uh, you know the jet that was a, a little bit of a the way they blocked that was an interesting deal. But Ohio State came out and at four four three to start the game again, just like they had the first time. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin was ready for it, yeah. uh, and Ohio State's offense sputtered when it got across the 50-yard line yeah. a couple of times and shot themselves in the foot, either with penalties and or uh, Justin Fields taking sacks, and you're going, wow, this and, is
3: really happening. And and it was a similar formula as well in the first half where jo- Justin Fields, uh, you know, they're in the red zone, they're looking to score, and he fumbles inside the five. Um, had that happen against Penn State, and it, it still appears to be uh, – a case for me where Ohio state is the only one that can slow down Ohio state. They didn't play with the same intensity. I, I you're right. Wisconsin had a great plan. They executed it very well in the first half, but Ohio state didn't play with the same energy. Uh, the linebackers missed a few assignments. They had guys that were missing, uh, tackles that they don't normally miss. Justin Fields with the turnover, he was taking the sacks and it was just like, that was the only reason the Penn state game was close Yeah, was because they had all those unforced errors and three turnovers. Um, you know, and, That knee for Justin Fields is also letting teams, I think, get back in it a little bit because that's leading to the sacks. He's in pain. He's tackling. You've got guys punching at the football. He's trying to protect himself. And it's not, you know, he needs these three weeks more than anybody on the team to be healthy because if he's not at 100%, it changes what Ohio State is
2: capable of. But let's get back to that gauntlet they ran. I mean, you know, those are good teams they face. Those teams have great schemes, and Mm -hmm. they had good schemes. They have good coaches. And Ohio State took their best. And then came back out, <laughs> like I said, came out back out throwing haymakers. Second half, like you said, twenty-seven to nothing. Seriously, and Ryan Day pointed about this, and I, I got chills a little bit because I asked him, you know, what did this team prove in his opinion the last three games, especially in that final? And he had a great response to that, and and he talked about how uh, that seven seventeen that third quarter was about as great a quarter as they played all year. Yeah. And I'm getting chills thinking about it now, but he said because he said there were players coming off the field who actually had tears in their eyes. They were so emotionally invested in making that comeback and taking care of business. If you're a football fan, how do you not get a little bit of a chill factor there when you're head coach talk about a whole season being on the line and them taking care of business? Well, and that's, we've said this a bunch. Any team can
3: talk about the brotherhood, right? And sometimes it gets overblown. Uh, I mean, the Jews. There's there's six and six teams that talk about the relationships they have with their team and yeah. how much they love them and that stuff, but uh, and it's hard to quantify it. But when you see it on this team, it's special. and It's different than even other Ohio State teams that have talked about the brotherhood. Yeah, two years ago, uh, you know Billy Price was standing up and talking about it, and it was and it was key to their turnaround and winning the Big Ten. You give them credit for that. It's not the same as watching what these guys what they've done because it shows up in a different level when the energy level is lagging a little bit. And they were walking to the locker room, Spencer Holbrook and Berm were were down there standing outside the locker room and hearing the discussion before they even got in there, before any before Jeff Halfley, before Greg Madison making any adjustments, the players were talking about that on their own. Too many man on man tackles being missed. Energy not where it needs to be. These are the the players and the leaders were saying this before they ever got in there. They knew what the problem was
2: and there was no like, oh don't don't tell me that I missed a tackle. Shut up. Like you know, I'm defensively, doing... you got to you got to be thinking. They were saying, they were saying themselves, guys, this is 2019, not 2018. <laughs> what well, Jonathan Taylor had? How many yards in this first the first half? That's what the first half looked like. I mean, he finally Jonathan Taylor got off on Ohio State, so he has that little video of the first <laughs> half to deal yeah. with. Now he has the second half where I don't even think he was in the game the first three plays. And you're thinking now Wisconsin is overdoing it. They're overplaying their hand, uh, and Ohio State just grabbed them by the throat. It, that happened in the first game, it's crazy. too. And that's I, – I don't, I don't want to relitigate. I guess
3: before your show last week, we didn't know who all the award winners were. Right. And I've already spoken out about this a bunch of times, and we did, I guess, last week on the practice report. But the, this happened in both Wisconsin-Ohio State games this year where Jonathan Taylor was not out there in key situations or not out there on third downs. We're not out there to pick up blitzes. Like Reggie
2: Bush in USC, remember
3: when they played yeah. Texas way back when? That's why I think that J.K. Dobbins is the best running back in America, but especially the Big Ten, mm-hmm. because Ohio State has no problem putting him out there to do anything. And does he miss uh, a blitz pickup every now and then? Yeah, sure does. Yep. That's, or gets run over. Yeah, does. There's that's not, big his, not kind of his main there. job, but yeah. they, thro- they throw to him on the screen game. They throw to him out of the backfield. He scored those angle touchdowns that were big in a couple games. <laughs> Ohio State lets him do everything. Wisconsin. Yeah, does not, trust JK, uh, does not trust Jonathan Taylor to handle every responsibility as a running back. Let me
2: interrupt you. Do, do, if you watch that touchdown, J.K. Dobbins' touchdown in slow motion, <laughs> I mean, he looks like a high diver.
3: I thought it was ballet. He looked
2: like somebody going off the 10-meter <laughs> platform the way he's up and then twists yeah. all the way around in the air. It was phenomenal. It was, I think that's now his signature move because it was a similar move, remember, yeah. uh, a couple games ago. So, uh, But, yeah, back to what you're saying – it's not how you start, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's how you finish. And, and Cliches are cliches because they're true. Because they're true. Yeah. Exactly. It's a And, yeah, J.K. Dobbins outrushed Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Who would have seen that coming in the first half, right? Number two, I'm I'm impressed by we're sitting there on Sunday and, yeah, we didn't get Chase Young and, and Jeffrey Okuda or J.K. Dobbins or Justin Fields like some of the networks did uh, to talk about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> We'll talk about that with Jerry Emmick later on, but uh, as if they aren't going to get them enough at the but, awards ceremony this but, week. But are there three more impressive guys on this team than Josh Myers and BB uh, Landers and Jay Sean Cornell? About men standing up in front of you and answering questions and talking about the uh, talking about the struggle over the last three weeks, talking about what they went through. And uh, talking about it from the sense of retrospect of what they learned about themselves mm-hmm. as a team and, as you said, as a band of brothers and uh, the toughness that it takes to achieve what they've done because all three of those teams took shots at them oh, man. and yeah. then sat down. They had to <laughs> They had to keep answering the bell uh, three weeks in a row. And uh, Jay Sean Cornell, I, I've never – I mean, knowing him as a freshman coming in, it's sort of like almost shy guy mm-hmm. to talk to the media to where he stands up there. Now you know, I mean, I, that guy has head coach written all over him, uh, whether he play after he plays at the next level, however, how long that lasts. He has just, he has that about him. Of course, B.B. Lander should be somebody's PR uh, yeah. <laughs> front person. You <laughs> he's, agreed?
3: He's going to, he's going to run for office at some level. I yeah. think someday, uh, and even, to go back to Jay Sean Cornell.
2: But those are the guys that are you want, part and parcel to what well, this team is all about. Well, that's why so
3: successful. Right. You know, Josh Myers isn't a fifth-year senior like those other two guys, but he carries himself like one. There's a wisdom about him that's he, cool. He, he carries himself like a pro, which I think there's a good chance he might well be. Uh, Next Sooner spring. rather than later. Yeah, we'll see what exactly transpires there. Another guy that got snubbed in the Big Ten awards,
2: by the way. I told him. I, I told him as I was leaving the the uh, locker room the other night last because I'm getting shoved out. You know, after <laughs> thirty minutes. Thirty is, minutes. Thirty minutes is thirty minutes. You know. And I said, by the way, I said I didn't have, I didn't have a vote on uh, all Big Ten this year, but if I had, you'd have been my number one guy on. It. He's going to stinks. I mean, I, I've dude.
3: I've, he had a hell of a year. I'm not sure what where all the All American uh, votes stand right now, but I voted him the first team All American center. Uh, and whatever award I got to vote for a couple weeks ago, yeah, um, he has been that good. And yes. again, I don't see every center in the country, but I've seen almost all of the Big Ten in person now. Uh, there's nobody better in this league than Josh Meyer. No, and
2: be honest, you know the the, the guy for uh, Wisconsin, that's the one who won it. And I just go, that's based on people voting on what they saw on the preseason it's reputation. Of Wisconsin, that they
3: they've always got a great offensive line. Yeah, I
2: think he was. I think he's damn good. He's fine. He's fine. But Josh Myers changed the game for Ohio State up front this year. Michael Jordan had some problems at a times last year. He was out of position for yeah. for the most part. <laughs> well,
3: he's definitely you agree? Position, yeah.
2: I mean, I think. But Josh Myers had to make the calls. I mean, you he, you know, as Ryan Day has said, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Jonah Jackson are as good a guard guards center trio as there, are, as there is in the country this year, mm-hmm. maybe the best. I think you and I both agree.
3: Yeah, and I think that that's been important to turning around this rushing attack. And I Because they've, you know, Ther Munford, he says he's 100%. I don't really believe that that's the case. He's he's not playing at that Ther Munford level that I expected. And Brandon Bowen, you could see the adjustment when they needed to make it. Uh, he's going to go down to guard and, and, and Nicholas petit Frere. Is going to be at right tackle. Um, got it right. <laughs> I've been to, I've been to work. I haven't had to say it in a few. Weeks. Oh, you remember the signing day when yeah. I
2: couldn't get it out? <laughs> it's, to, when I was asking Urban a question
3: about. Yeah, it? I'm just
2: not used to it. Like NPF. That's if I'm writing it. That's dude. That's he it. came into the game the other night. People forget that when Wyatt Davis yeah. got went down. And uh, first play, they they run a pretty a pretty interesting uh, pass pro scheme. He picks a guy right up coming off the edge, and that was a that was ended up being a big play in the, one of the big plays in the game.
3: Yeah, and I think. And my point was that's it's been important for those three guys on the interior because the tackle play has not been quite what it's uh, the Ohio State standard. It's good, but it hasn't been great. and I think that's why you've seen in a number of these games where uh, Ohio State favors even though Justin Fields can make every throw and even and even though sometimes the sacks are his fault, yeah it's not it's just they're better at run
2: blocking. Yeah, but I, I think Bowen. I think Bowen's actually had a pretty damn good year when he's been I wasn't meaning there. to take anything yeah. away from it. And I, I think just, you're right. Munford has been limited or to a certain extent, and he's going to benefit from these three yeah, weeks as, absolutely, much, yeah. as much as Justin Fields is. But, you know, the thing that Wisconsin had going for it in that first half, too, they were bringing guys that they didn't do in the first game. They were bringing more than you could block. And, uh, if you know, sometimes it was six. A couple times it looked like even seven. And, you know, when – you got J.K. back there trying to pick up some of these big guys. He did it a couple times. Couple da- times he didn't. But uh, uh, it was just that was a tough road to hoe. But then, like you said, the biggest play of the game, and I agree with this, offensively, was when you avoid the blitz situation yeah. by just rolling Justin Fields left on that third down play where he Chris Olave for a fifty yard gain, which changed everything.
3: You agree? It changed. It changed everything. And I think people look at it, hey, Ruckert made a great catch. KJ Hill had those touchdowns late.
2: And Benjamin Uh, Victor had that great third down, catch and run. Big time catch and run. Yeah.
3: Flashback to Penn State. J.K. Dobbins, you mentioned that huge second half for him. Yes. But the play that is overshadowed, I think, maybe maybe it doesn't apply to everyone. But when I look back at this game, the one that really, truly changed it and said Ohio State is starting to feel the momentum is when Justin Fields got out of the pocket, created time. He is – he's not laterally moving like himself because of the knee. He spent uh, a lot of time before the game, extra time on the field, just running around trying to get comfortable on the knee brace. And it never happened for him, right. but he gets out of the pocket, gets loose. Another improvisation, the, the connection, the chemistry that he has with Chris Olave and just a, a beautiful touch on a deep ball. It, it was a special, special throw. And there are just not many guys. I know somebody asked us like, well, could Chris Chuganoff have won this game? Like if the, if that suggestion last? Well, you week, don't know. I mean, I'm know, not. I'm not going to. I don't. I don't, I don't want to play that game no. because that's not fair to I know. Chris Chuganoff. I know, and I don't. But I'm. But I'm meaning that I don't think there are very few guys that I think could have made that play anywhere in the country, and I, I shouldn't have even mentioned that yeah. right there. But
2: he's just a special player. I was just cutting you off before right. you got into your Demario McCall oh, come soliloquy. On. Come on, but uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. I agree. That's Dude, we can, we, can knock, we can talk about the matchups all we want. The number one matchup in this game is the top two quarterbacks of the 2018 class are going to square off. <laughs> it's going to be Justin Fields and uh, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence, who's already proven himself on the national stage with a national championship. Mm-hmm. And we all know that Justin Fields, with the weapons that are around him, has the possibility of doing the same thing. In three weeks, I don't know if you agree or not, but uh, how many times do you think
3: the uh, the national media will now get on the the Elite Eleven breakdown? Oh,
2: yeah, (laughs) Elite Eleven is going to be the most famous. This will be the most the most famous metric out
3: there for the next three weeks. It'll be the most attention that the Elite Eleven finals have (laughs) ever received. When they go back and talk about Justin Fields outdueling Trevor Lawrence, uh, I
2: know. And I read a I read a, a, a read a picture of the graphic going into that, and Trevor Lawrence was rated as point nine 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 nine, and uh, Justin Fields was rated going into his point nine 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 eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just so they could have yeah a, a way to rate them, much like the college football playoff committee probably did things oh, the boy. other night or not. But that's, we're gonna that's we're, called a professional segue. Yeah, thank you very much. We're gonna get into that. I mean, in my opinion. We saw Ohio State have its worst half of the season and its best half of the season all in the same game the other night based on the competition. Uh, They are down 21-7 at the half. They scored a touchdown to cut to 14-7. You're going, okay, second half, man. And then all of a sudden, boom, they let Jonathan Taylor out the gate again. I said, reflections of 2018 defense. Then they tightened up all the bolts they could defensively, and it worked. They shut out Wisconsin second half. And then offensively, they put a little higher octane, I think, fuel in the engine and flew right past uh, Wisconsin. As I said all week, you got to throw the ball. Things were there in the passing game. Mm-hmm. If you could have time to throw it, and they did. And then they augmented it with, uh, uh, with runs by J.K. Dobbins and the offensive line finally getting a handle on things. Uh, before we go to our break – and go to a little special feature, do you agree that might have been their finest hour the uh, the uh, second half of the Wisconsin game? Uh, I don't think there's any question because they haven't faced any
3: real significant adversity where they were playing from behind. Michigan scored first and threw down the gauntlet that it was going to be a game. They were there to play, and Ohio State marched right back down the field and scored, and they are like, hey, we're here yeah. too, and yeah. we're, we're properly motivated for this one. Yes. So, the, the challenges were, were not just physical against Wisconsin, but also mental. Ohio State knew that they could get in the playoff. I know nobody wanted to talk about it or admit it, but they were aware of that. And then there was the rematch, and they were physically beat down and all this other stuff. Well, you're down 14 points against the number eight team in the country. Yes. That's a real thing. Yes. And you have 30 minutes to do it. And to go 27-0 after that, uh, and even just finish it with that Josh Proctor leveling Cone on the sideline to, to put
2: the finishing touch right in front up. of me, man. i was standing
3: right there. They did not want, you know, that would have been a lackluster ending. Like, just. And then. I remember I
2: was standing right there with Sheila Smith, uh, Gene Smith's wife. I was standing right next to her and uh, Denny Hubler and some other guys from, from Ohio State. But uh, Sheila and I were both saying, you know, it'd probably look a lot better if these guys don't, <laughs> yeah, score, don't score here. Yeah. yeah, just, you know, for the fun of it. And number two, it would guarantee another do- double digit
3: win. Double digit win. And that's. It, um, and it happened. And to have one of those to be 14 down and to win a game and come back against number 8 neutral site even though it was a basically a home game for Ohio State uh for a Big 10 championship oh my goodness. that's hard enough just to win but to, to go out and then win by double digits and and leave no doubt for the Big
2: 10 this is i want to tell this you is something. A se- kind of season that's never
3: happened in the Big 10
2: before we had our pre- our pregame show nice and the fan was at uh was at the uh, uh, high-velocity sports bar at the JW Marriott, which you know is right up the, right down the street about six blocks from Lucas Oil. So I walked down that street. Uh, I think it was Capitol Avenue, actually. But I walked down Capitol Avenue an uh, hour and a half before the game. It was like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona, <laughs> except it was a running of the Buckeye fans. It was a stunning, stunning how many Ohio State fans right. were there? And of course, they hadn't opened quite opened the gates yet for whatever reason. I don't understand that. It's lazy they open the gates for the game, but uh, the amount of fans, Ohio State fans, waiting to go in, I, I even uh, tweeted a picture of it. But then when you got in there and it filled up, and it was like you expected ninety percent, ten percent. I'm telling you, who can match that in the country? I, I'm, maybe, maybe one of these other teams, but this game was in Indianapolis, the capital of Indiana. And that was – like it looked like one of those Indiana games, you know. Georgia was playing in Atlanta and didn't even have that home
3: right. field advantage.
2: Right. So when everybody started talking to me about, about a home field advantage for the SEC in Atlanta, I go, maybe when you're walking around the street. But when, when you, you get, get in, in the stadium, I'll tell you, Buckeye Nation is a real thing. You know what's going to be interesting, though?
3: How, if they can get there, both teams, and you go to New Orleans
2: – yeah. And oh, that'll be interesting.
3: How many? That'll we, be their biggest challenge they face. because We've seen it about before. Sugar Bowl with Alabama. We've seen it before, though. Two thousand seven like, BCS Championship game. I know they will be there. I'm just wondering how much they can chip away at it, and I'm wondering how expensive that's going to make. It's going to be real game. expensive. It might be the most expensive uh, college football playoff game of all time.
2: Another another reason why I'm glad I continued my career as a semi-retired individual working for lettermanroad.com <laughs> well, dot com. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and, and speaking of that, speaking of that, we're gonna pay some bills here with a a, a little bit of advertising. Uh, but when we come back, but then past that, we're gonna run a some clips from an interview that several of us did with Gene Smith, Ohio State's athletic director, uh, post the press conference yesterday. You know, he was used to be on the college football playoff committee for yep. what, two years?
3: <laughs> yeah, too yeah. long.
2: Yeah. yeah, and he retired. He he basically resigned from that because it took away. I'm not sure he had the influence he thought he was going to have. Number one, uh, he certainly didn't. Cause, yeah, because you can't. Because you can't. But then number two, I think, I think he got a little, I think he got a little exasperated about the way a couple of things went down in the last couple of years. Yep. Although he didn't really own up to that when we were talking to him earlier, but he's going to, uh, in essence, respond to the uh, to the situation that ended up with LSU number one, Ohio State number two. And you'll hear me ask some questions, a couple of the guys, Ari Wasserman from The Athletic, uh, Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. But we asked some questions of him about the whole process, and you can make up your own mind. And then uh, Boston, you call him Austin Ward, and I'll be back after that to talk about that process, where we saw where it went right and where it went wrong, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then maybe look at this, uh, this a little bit more of a preview of the Fiesta Bowl, which promises to be A ridiculous matchup, whether it's a close game or not, remains to be seen. We'll be back in just a
4: moment. Hey, college football fans, it's Zach Bourne here. You need to check out BetDSI.com. BetDSI is a great way to use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. That's right. BetDSI is the top rated online sports book. They've been paying winners for over 20 years. The reason they've been around that long is because they have got the fastest payouts in the industry. Plus, the user interface and mobile site is the best in the business. Play, win, and get paid. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if it's college football, the NFL, NBA, NHL, UFC, esports, reality TV—virtually anything you can bet it. You can bet on it at betdsi.com and get paid right now. There's no better way to add some excitement to games that you already are watching. Check out their live betting, where you can bet on games throughout the entire matchup, every play, and every minute until the end. BetDSI has a special de- deal for Letterman Row fans. Use the promo code ROW one hundred to get a 100% bonus match. That's more than double. That's right. More than double your money to start winning today. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code ROW100 and get this limited 100% bonus offer to make some ex- extra cash on the sports you know and love. BetDSI, promo code ROW100. Now back to the show.
2: Probably in the last two weeks feeling like you're in the driver's seat in terms of you know making a decision of where you might prefer to play and, being the number one seed, like when you see a flip on the last second like that, is that a disappointing thing for you guys? Does it change anything? I mean, what was your thought process by what occurred today? No,
5: I wasn't disappointed. You know, I kind of, because I know, you know, who knows what the vote was when we were voted number one. It could have been seven to six. There's 13 guys, and who knows who was recused? I mean, so I know how razor thin those decisions are. Uh, I'm not disappointed that we're number two. Sure, I think we should be number one, but I'm not disappointed at all because those are two good teams, and, and they uh, its the old uh, issue when I was on the basketball committee, and you guys heard it before. They're so close you can slide a piece of paper between them, and, and that's true because you can pick the metrics apart, or you can pick the eye test, whatever you want to pick. Uh, they're close teams, so I'm not—I'm not disappointed, and I know and. And Phoenix that will have an unbelievable following. Would have been nice to go to Atlanta, no question, because we haven't been there. Uh, and, but I'm excited about Fiesta Bowl.
2: Hey, is there an SEC bias? Are we looking at this the wrong way? But it, it was literally like going into yesterday, Ohio State was playing the number eight team in the country, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going to CFP the week before, Georgia was number four. Mm-hmm. It was almost like set up to be mm-hmm. what it turned out to be. And I mean, you think were you were in the rooms there. Yeah, you know, I don't think they
5: said it. That doesn't happen. I, I didn't mean intentionally. Yeah, but. yeah, no, it's just uh, you know the 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 issue is that the, you you got two teams that are very close. You know, you can we can make the argument, which I think is a good argument. You know, we played. Three top 15 teams and back to back to back yeah. and, and won a championship. And um, but then you, you look at LSU and their metrics on the stats and the performance that they have, their defense has improved. I can't remember what their office, their defensive efficiency is now, uh, but they improved. And so you know so the reality is it's a tough call. Um, I don't know if there's an SEC bias in the room. I never witnessed that. Yeah. Uh, I just think that different people had different opinions, and everyone in that room has different criteria. Area by which they make their decisions. And so um, I'm sure there was a, a lot of debate, um, and who knows what the vote was.
3: And they talk all year about how it's body of work, body of yes, work, body right, of work, right.
2: all year, the whole thing, right. right? How much can a room be swayed from your experience by the results of a single half or a single oh, game?
3: No and question. Like, can the entire thinking of a room shift? Sure. And then how does that? Stay in line with the whole concept of body of work. No question.
5: No question. So that's a great question. Um, This is probably what happened this weekend. Uh, Keep in mind uh, the committee is in there all weekend watching every game, every single game. There's four TVs, and they're sitting in the room, and they're all watching games. And you know, Joe is watching his team, and he's probably over in the other room because he's so nervous, trying to get away from people. But that's literally what's happening. You're watching games. So you can't dismiss that. You can't say that's not a factor. They're human, just like I was human. So you look at games and you develop an opinion of LSU versus Georgia and what they did. And you develop an opinion of Ohio State versus Wisconsin and what we did and how we did it. So individually you you make a decision. So the body of work is still there. And when you go into the room and you discuss, you, you, you still have that body of work, and you discuss that, you have those metrics, but you still have the impression of what you just saw. I think is right. the, the answer right. to your question. It's still there. So, um, how that individually plays, I don't know, but because every person has a different, a different view uh, of that. So yeah, it, it's a factor. Two thousand and sixteen game when you guys lost to Clemson oh, thirty-one God, to nothing. Painful.
4: Was that? Did that feel like any kind? You guys were such a good program. You're only two years removed from the national title. But did that feel like a moment to you of like we're really good, but this showed us how we need to get better? Was it a reset? And then Ryan Mm -hmm. comes in Mm -hmm. a week later. Was Mm -hmm. that a reset for this program at all in any way? I
5: think that game. I think a number of bowl games showed us that we needed to elevate our game in recruiting. And uh, you know, the the Florida loss, the LSU loss. Clemson loss. We needed to change our perspective and, and uh, look at different positions differently. Um, you know, we, we, So we've done that. I mean, this team has that. Uh, Urban contributed to that shift because uh, he and I candidly talked about that and, and Ryan has, has done that as well. If things go well for December 18th. He continues that. Um, but then they, you know, the, the development of that, I mean, Sean so, Wei. Anywhere else, he, he'd be the starting corner,
0: mm-hmm.
5: and, and so you just like we can go around the room, right? Just pick them. But yeah, that's that's we've changed. We've changed a lot since that time.
2: Uh, schools, by the way, have, have, have been moving here recently. You know, Penn State, uh, Indiana, to lock up their coaches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a while. Right. Uh, how impressed are you with what Ryan has done to this point, and right. will that be a, a major focus? at the end of this season yeah you know. done a hell of a job
5: he's uh i mean you guys know that i'm, I'm preaching to the choir you guys can just you know it's kind of a one of those things that's a moot question uh so we'll our biggest concern right now is getting our guys healthy and uh getting the getting the coaches back home after being on the road and signing who we got to sign in december and then how many ever we got coming in january uh, making sure they transition in
2: well we're back ladies and gentlemen and uh Boston. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, yeah, uh, kind of what I want to respond to is I agree. Uh, this top four is irrefutable in my opinion. Uh, Utah had a shot and blew it blew big time, huge. to a two-loss team. Oregon, and uh, uh, so one, two, three, four. You can debate one, two, three, four, but you can't debate the four. Agreed.
3: I agree with that. And it, happenstance, though, right? Yeah, it, they they lucked into it. Because yeah. they almost had an issue. If Utah could have won, and again, this is fortunate for them because there is no debating who the top four teams were. That was easy, and yet they still messed up the order. But if, if Utah had won. We're getting at that in a second. I know. They just, anyone could have done it.
2: Yeah. I they, wanted to see Utah win because I wanted to see a conundrum.
3: There I wanted to, four. I, absolutely. I think chaos is good for the system because this is the neatest, I think, that it's probably ever been. And you're not usually going to get that. There were three undefeated teams, undefeated conference champions that had been dominant uh, you know, basically from start to finish this season. Yes. Everyone knew that they were getting in. There wasn't an argument about that. But you can't change it to help improve it for other years where it's not perfect if you don't have any of the chaos that exposes the problems. Yeah. And every other year has helped with that. These people uh, need the NCAA, the college football playoff, the athletic directors, the president's. Uh, some coaches, they have to be hurt by it before they change anything. Yeah. And it took that LSU Alabama rematch to be the final death knell of the BCS. And so it's disappointing to me when I've never been a fan of expansion. I thought four was a workable number. I was happy that they had a, a plus one model to fix some of the issues. Uh, four was going to be more equitable, but it's not, it was never, the math never added up in the first place. There's five power conferences and four teams get in the playoffs. Something has to be done to correct that, so that there is an, a clear path for teams to qualify.
2: But here's the here's the real conundrum. They would have here's the here, this is what would have been interesting to see. Is is my as my friend and yours, Doug Lay Maurice asked. You know, if this had been the BCS years, who would have been one and two? Uh, interesting question because it would have been based on the polls. I mean, the polls would have would have been the deciding factor, probably. Although I think Clemson would have been really wanting in the algorithms, which decide who's beaten somebody uh, and how impressive it was and those algorithms for what all those different computer rankings were all different y'all you remember, you remember those oh, days yep. i mean you look at jeff Sagarin ratings right now you know i think And oh, those are the ones i've told you before right. i think exactly. those are the best ones out there. Exactly. but the, but, but th- that would have been that would have been a conundrum for anybody if you base it on the old system who would have been 1 too, in your opinion the BCS When
3: you threw everything in the mix, I I think there would have been. I think LSU, Ohio State, probably would have come out, depending on if it was the formula that gave the AP poll and the and the coaches' poll if that gave it weight. Yeah, Uh, because you know voters have tended to come around on the strength of schedule argument and not just give blind allegiance to the previous national champion until they lose a game. Clemson would have been hurt in that regard, and as you and I said earlier in this podcast. Clemson is really, really, really good. Oh, hell yeah. And they deserve a shot to prove it because they won a power league because they're undefeated. They don't deserve it because they're the national champion last year. That shouldn't be uh, part of the equation. But that's what what I was
2: getting to with you. They deserve it based on the look test. Yeah. Uh, They deserve it based on where they've been in recruiting. But do they, you know, do they deserve it based on their season? Like if Memphis had gone undefeated, wouldn't Memphis have as strong a case this season? Mm -hmm. Against their schedule, yeah. Against their schedule? To be considered the one of the top three teams in the country, the,
3: you know there's a lot of laughter from the SEC when it comes to Ohio State actually having the best one of the best schedules, I know. top twenty schedules, I be, know. because Cincinnati counts. But Memphis had to beat them back to back. Talk about a rematch in a yes. difficult situation. Well, those are back to back top twenty games. So that that's tougher than anything Clemson saw all season. Yeah, think about that. That's yes. hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around that Memphis. Uh, you know, faced a bigger challenge than Clemson, Um, you know, not every game on their schedule is going to be uh, Cincinnati or a top 20 team. The
2: depth of that league is not very good, but the depth in the ACC is non-existent. And it's, you know, and let's face it, Clemson, when they played Texas A&M, Texas A&M was supposed to be better than it was this year. And uh, it's one of the more disappointing teams in the country when you really break it down, Uh, you know, that's who – LSU beating its what regular season finale, I think. They also beat Arkansas along the way there. Good for you. The gauntlet they ran. Good for you guys. I'm not I'm not segueing into that part of it yet, but I want to but I do agree that this year, uh, by happenstance more than more than like cunning and 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 really deciphering the metrics and stuff, they got the top four right. I mean, but you know, my grandson uh Owens uh uh he's not even walking yet he's 11, 11 and a half months old and he had the four teams right he could have gotten the four teams right he go grandpa duh, in this point you know
3: uh, <laughs> just put out put out the conference champions and the a yeah. group of five and and Owen got it yeah one yeah one two three four yeah but uh did he get the order plugging or right, in my my uh
2: microphone here but uh but the bottom line is uh Anybody could have gotten it right. My my mom could have gotten it right. Uh, but let's, we've get, let's get off that a little bit. Who should have been number one? Who should Ohio have been State. number two? Why? You've got 30 seconds.
3: Ohio State had the best body of work. They had the strongest resume. They had the most wins over ranked teams. The committee had already uh, elected to put Ohio State at number one. Uh, and giving them their seal of approval as the most complete team in the You're country. really well now you've got fifteen yeah, seconds I left. know i'm getting I'm trying to zip through they beat. they beat the number eight team in the committee's mind just last week by double digits, even with a bad half. I believe they're supposed to ignore uh quarters and halves of games and evaluate an entire game which they just won they just beat Wisconsin by double digits in a rematch to win the big ten
2: excellent and then I did, and then
3: I get a second chance
2: yeah. L- no, no, wait a minute. No, now that's <laughs> my chance. Okay, I do believe, and uh, you know, we, you know, you heard what uh, Gene Smith had to say about the, you know, the the way things go in the yeah. committee meetings, and uh, and the way they come at it. I do believe that the committee was sitting around watching LSU and Georgia, and when LSU won, if they had a magnetic, you know, like they did in the Final Four yeah. things last year, yeah. if they had a magnetic thing. They put LSU in the number one spot, no matter what happened. In the game that followed at 8:12 p.m. kickoff in Lucas Oil Stadium, LSU from that moment on was the number one seed, based on it had just beaten their conveniently their number four seed, <laughs> and from the from the previous week. And then Ohio State had no chance. And then, of course, when they watched the first half and see a vulnerable Ohio State for the first time, really all year, trailing at the halftime, 21 to seven, they probably all went out at that point. Uh, for dinner. Or,
3: yeah, ordered some margaritas. Argue- and,
2: yeah, and and uh, that was one of the great. They missed one of the great halves. No, I'm not saying they did that. But Devon, that's exactly what it looked like to me. That Ohio State had no chance if LSU won on Saturday. And uh, and I, I won't anybody. They people can argue me all they want. Uh, I'm just looking at it from the way it came out because if you look at it, what the gauntlet Ohio State ran the last three games of the year, Michigan. I mean, excuse me, Penn State, Michigan. In Wisconsin, nobody ran that gauntlet. Definitely not LSU, and definitely, definitely not Clemson.
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that uh, you know I will argue with Ari Wasserman about over the course of a year, and uh, we all spend a bunch of time together on this beat and don't all see eye to eye. Yeah, and he was he was completely right about the impact of recency bias for this selection committee. Yes, and um, you know that's exactly what you're saying. LSU was so impressive in that game. It also discount. They thought Georgia was good, and for some reason they still do. And they had them at number five. Georgia is not good. Okay, remember when Ohio State was punished for losing to Iowa and Purdue? That's what Georgia did at home to South Carolina. Committee, what are you watching with Georgia? You're wrong. Okay, so then they give them credit for that,
2: dude. That that was their Purdue. I mean, that was a mediocre South Carolina team, but
3: it didn't impact them at all. The same way, crazy. There's, it's. I've said this a bunch of other times. Ohio State is always the team. They made up for by beating Missouri and Vanderbilt. Yeah. This is, <laughs> that's a great, great point. This is Ohio State is always the team that shows the flaw in the thinking or the the new thing that they're trying to prove. Whether that's uh, your worst loss being minute, uh, you know, being the most significant, not who you beat or uh, strength of schedule not being relevant for Alabama and, and Ohio State or 2015. You need to win your conference championship even if you're clearly one of the most or it's always Ohio State. Dude, Georgia ended up number
2: five. I, and it's, I'm interrupting you because of this. If Ohio State had lost Saturday night, would Ohio State be in the playoff? You understand what I'm saying now that you know what they thought of Georgia? I, I just – I can't even
3: wrap my mind a around why they think they are number four or
2: five. Well, the football minds evidently convince people. I don't – who knows? But – I mean, I Georgia was I never get Georgia into was almost in, imp, impotent offensively the other night. Jake Fromm's uh, and that's know, not new. Is banged up and stuff, but uh, that's not
3: new. That they were impotent against South Carolina, right? Right.
2: Um, and so, I guess my my point here
3: is that Ohio. You asked me who I would put one through four. That was the start of your question. Ohio State should be number one. Yeah. LSU should be number two. The resumes, the metrics, all of them say Ohio State should be number one. Right. Except for one night. And one half, and, and you know, I got off on a tangent there about Georgia. LSU won a great game; they won the SEC. It's a great league. It's not as good as people think that it is. And Georgia, uh, you know, they didn't beat the next best team in I'm the SEC. I'm here to tell you that
2: Ohio State probably could have won forty-five to nothing on Saturday and still been number two. And that's I think, what I'm telling. you. And I you.
3: think that you're you're probably right about that. But just because they were so, in, they're always so enamored. And I don't get into the conspiracy theory and all that. But you know, LSU. It's not. They didn't have to go out and beat the next best, even the SEC. They beat the team that the committee had ranked as the next best team in yeah, the SEC. Yeah. But they they won the SEC East. They beat Tennessee. Now Georgia they, did beat
2: Auburn, which beat Oregon, which beat Utah. I mean, you know, you can. I mean, Georgia isn't a bad football team, but was it one of the elite teams this year? No.
3: If if Georgia had played Wisconsin on Saturday night, what would the score have been?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think Wisconsin. SEC bias means Georgia wins.
3: Yeah, I think Wisconsin would have. The way that the way Wisconsin was playing on Saturday night. Agreed. They would have rolled Georgia. But that's that's getting you know way off track here in dealing with yeah. hypotheticals. The stuff that's on the field, the stuff that is provable with the numbers and the metrics and all this stuff, people hate the numbers. But the biggest problem with the College Football Playoff Selection Committee is that it's 13 humans. And then you recuse one or two. Uh, and last year Gene Smith w- was part of this. And I think he, he doesn't say it publicly very often and even privately he he denies that this is the case but you don't if you have to recuse yourself because Ohio State is in the mix and you're Gene Smith why are you there well then you're down to 12 yeah
2: Oklahoma then you're down to 11 that's not enough no Frank Beamer couldn't couldn't vote on Virginia Tech or Oklahoma because his son was coaching at Oklahoma and
3: Gene Smith said this uh either Ari or Doug or you asked the question I don't remember exactly he said well you know, last week it could have been seven to six that Ohio State was number one. Right, and if one vote can change this, yeah. For this is the comp- well, this is the, supposed to be for 130 teams. But if it is
2: but but it is that is how you have to finally do it. You do have to go with the majority rules, no matter what. I mean, I understand for that sure, aspect. But of it. 13 is. But this is, is not enough. This is what's funny about it is it's not a whole lot different from the BCS and the BCS when people, you know, all those computers were involved, but also the polls were involved. The polls were people, uh, coaches, and media members in respective polls voting it still came down one of the deciding factors was how actual people thought of it now it's those people supposedly are looking at all the metrics the the computer rankings etc and then they're doing the eyeball test so it's still a poll but that's there's a huge
3: difference between 70 people and 13 and an August or, group or 12 or 11 yeah. and especially if you're sitting all together, and ha- trying to have this debate, and you, somebody might be more persuasive than another, th- that just should not be how it works. Yeah. The human element is the single biggest problem with the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Much of this needs to be taken out of their hands, and I think that the, that means automatic entry for conference champions. If they're going to debate who 6, 7, and 8 are, and the top five are already in, have at it. I have never been in favor of 8, Coaches don't particularly like it because then you have to go through three games and the extra wear and tear. But get rid of the conference championship weekend.
2: Yeah. Well, as I that is that Gene. There's a lot of solutions. As, as, of as I yelled at game. Gene uh, as he was leaving yesterday uh, out in the parking lot, I said, you know, the thing is, if there were if it was eight now, there'd be ten teams out there yelling they should be number eight. And there would be. There would be. But that's fine. And, and maybe legitimately. Uh, so it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't, Going to eight doesn't necessarily close down the can of worms. It makes it much more wiggly, uh, but uh, <laughs> but then past that, yeah, like you're, right. you're like you said, this is by luck, by happenstance. You cannot debate the top four this year, in my opinion, because like you just pointed out, in my opinion, if you don't win your conference and you're in a conference, uh, you shouldn't be eligible. To be playing for the national championship, right. like Alabama has done, like Ohio State did a few years yeah. ago. I mean, and got waxed thirty-one yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, people don't maybe want to erase it from their memory, but Ohio State benefited from that. I call it the Notre Dame loophole because you can't re- you can't make it conference champions if Notre Dame's involved. Well, it's another example. Yeah, Notre Dame was a part member of the uh, ACC, and I wasn't saying that Ohio
3: State only uh, you know proves it in the negative fashion when they're left out. Even when they get in. It shows the different thinking of the committee every year. And the fact that it is always changing from 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and you don't know what they're going to do, sometimes it's worked in Ohio State's favor, sometimes it's kept them out. The, the fact that there's no consistency from year to year about the way you qualify is not good for college football. Yeah, I, you know We always say we wouldn't have podcasts or Letterman Row wouldn't exist if debate an interest in the sport wasn't as high as it is. That's true. It does fuel it. I get it. Absolutely. But, you know, there would also be great interest if everyone across the country had a, a reason to watch uh, Utah and Oregon because the winner was going to play for a national title. Um, and, I, you know, not that the ratings were bad or whatever, but, um, yeah, I, I get it that there will always be an argument for the last spot. And, and they got lucky that it wasn't for the fourth one this year when it could have been. They were one game away from having that situation, right, right? So they shouldn't pat themselves on the back for that. No, I don't look at it as a negative. That if you expand the vote and you have more than thirteen people involved, and you start deciding on six, seven, eight, uh, and and who's number nine and gets left out, I don't I don't think that that's that big of an issue for me. For them to have three at large and vote on that, and then vote on no, the know, ideal the, the, the ideal
2: six. would be five the five Power Five conference champions all get in, and then you have three at large spots. Uh, that would cover Notre Dame. That would cover two deserving runners up, et cetera, mm-hmm. in conferences. Absolutely, that would that would work. I mean, I came up with an idea a long time ago that, you know, you just have eight super conferences, uh, with uh, with 12 teams minimum in them. They play conference championships. That means you have 16 teams involved at the start, and then the eight go into a, uh. A, a, maybe a stack tourney based on seedings. Yeah. You could do it that way, but that would take care of everything. But it would, you know, I'm a fan of the bowl system because I like watching foot college football games, <laughs> dude. I yeah. I'll, I'll watch them. Yeah. And uh, so most of them, let's put it that way. And so I, I would hate to see the bowls go to the wayside. And, you know, a lot of our purists in our, or not purists, a lot of our guys in our media are always talking about, you know, doing away with the bowls and coming up. You don't need that. You you don't need a 16 team playoff. I'm telling you, because no. number we watched Ohio State run a three game gauntlet basically on fumes at the end of that game the other night. Yeah. Uh, you would you know you preferably would have the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals separated by two weeks. That would be difficult to do, but that's what you would have to end up with. So where do they fit? Are you going to play be playing college football until January the twentieth? I'm not sure, you know, that would be a different change. But everybody thinks that's the the answer. I just go, that that sounds great. It looks great on paper. But you're talking about two teams having to play three extra games at the elite level.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I, I'm not for that. Yeah, I think, what if if we're trying to fix the playoff, we're going to be sitting here for a long time. It's to be a long podcast. Yeah, we're I not. We're, the most, we're done. The thing that's probably got to go are the non-conference games. I yeah. Mean, that, that levels the playing field in a huge way, and it gets it more to what you're talking Alabama about. Alabama played Western
2: Carolina, yeah. one of the worst teams this year in the FCS. Well, and that's the, It's next to last game of the regular season.
3: LSU plays an FCS opponent, right. too,
2: and that doesn't you – know, Auburn played, what, Samford.
3: Yeah, so it's a joke that they do it that way, and they have an easier schedule. The, the SEC people don't like to hear that because they think that all eight conference games they play – are just rigorous, road, rigorous man. battle, and yeah. a, you know, getting past Vanderbilt, boy. I hope, hope Georgia can survive that one and, and win the East after getting through Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Man, uh, yeah, kudos to you guys, number five in the country for that that gauntlet. But you know, you play eight conference games, you play an FCS opponent, you don't leave the Southeast to play uh, challenging power five, with the exception of Alabama, but usually neutral site, neutral
2: site. Uh, you know, it's just give me a break with this SEC. Yeah, I'm, stuff. I'm with you. Well, but uh, we just saw it come into play yep. once again in the most decisive weekend yep. of the year, the last weekend. And people can say there's no SEC bias. I say baloney. Pay attention. It's Entrenched. It's out point. there. Yep. Maybe the bowl games will prove some things. We'll see. Hope but of course, all- wait a minute. <laughs> SEC teams, if they don't make the playoffs, and they're they no longer are interested, they're no longer incentivized, yeah. and they don't play as well. AKA Alabama and Utah many years ago in the Sugar Bowl, et cetera. So we, yeah, you know, and Just, of course in 2014 Alabama was looking forward to playing for the championship, and so they overlooked Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl <laughs> in the in the first round of the uh, college football playoff ever played. Uh, Etc. SEC. You know? It just yeah.
3: means more excuses.
2: I'm going to get into this in a podcast, uh, one of my podcasts, in the next couple of weeks, though, about the gauntlet that teams now have to play to become a national champion mm. compared to, like, 1968 when Ohio State won nine games in the regular season and then won the Rose Bowl, and boom, after 10 games, 10-0. and 0, you know, Congratulations. Ryan Day, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Day and Ohio State are sitting here 13-0. They're the Big Ten champions. But most people say, "But what have you done for me lately?" (laughs) And that's the that's the era we live in. Alabama Alabama gets beat twice, and suddenly Nick Saban has lost his touch. You know, even though he lost his best defensive player at the beginning of the year and his best offensive player with about three games to go, uh, you know, he's lost his touch. Uh, You know, more power to. If you think that, if you just watch the recruiting rankings, you will know that that is not the case. So, but that'll be something to talk about next year.
3: I wonder how many Michigan and Alabama players are going to skip that game. Yeah. I bet it's double digits. Could
2: be interesting. I bet it's double digits. Could be interesting because, like I said, we live in a new era. you either in or you take yourself out. I mean, and Mich- and for
3: Michigan, well, Alabama hasn't been in this situation. Yeah. In, in, in a ever, millennium. Ever. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how they handle that, this, this new phenomenon of players sitting out that even, even affected Ohio State with Denzel Ward a couple years ago. Yeah. Michigan's had this every year where – Guys are done playing for Harbaugh. If the bowl doesn't count, I'm out. And I. Th- I'm What's Alabama
2: be- been? Alabama has been, since saban has been there, has been in nine either BCS or CFP yeah. championship situations and won five of them. Yeah. That's pretty damn impressive. It's been an incredible run.
3: Yeah. And the opposite is true for Michigan.
2: Yeah, but, but when you suddenly aren't there, believe me, I've got a younger brother who's the biggest Alabama fan you're ever going to meet. My mom, they're all bummed out. And, uh, uh, this is going to be a tough off season for them, which started, by the way, after they lost to Auburn. Maybe <laughs> – uh, here's one reason that I think – I mean, they're playing Michigan
3: in the – Yeah, I think uh, if they were full strength, there's no question what Alabama would do to Michigan. Yeah. And,
2: I, you know – I think it's going to be a district – I'm going to watch that game. Well, I think it's going to be a great game. You, I wonder – because I don't – you know, if, Alabama's I, vulnerable to I, the pass if you can protect your quarterback.
3: I don't – I haven't watched them, you know, so closely that I know – which of their five stars still have a game left to play. Yeah. But I wonder if that might be Saban's kind of way to get those bummed out Crimson Tide fans really into it and be like, hey, this is going to be the first chance to see this guy, this guy, this guy. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to have a meaningful opportunity to go out there and test themselves. All right, we're going to talk
2: about that later because our yeah. podcast is already running way too long. We, we can save fodder for the uh – build up to hey, the bowls you and berm get out of control on the practice board i'm
3: allowed to extend some answers on i the know podcast. you are
2: <laughs> but, uh, but no I, I totally appreciate it too brother without <laughs> otherwise it would just be me talking into a dead air so i just wanted this to be a tim may boston ward uh podcast because i wanted to discuss what we just want what we just witnessed both on the field and off yeah. and have a little bit of our quote-unquote knowledge that we've gained through the years of watching uh the machinations (laughs) or machinations, however you want to pronounce it. If you're in England, it's probably machinations uh, (laughs) of what goes on. And yet the bottom line is what Ohio State fans and everyone else, football fans around the country should know, they did get the four right by happenstance. Number two, that is going to be a war in the Fiesta Bowl. It may be close. It may be a blowout again. But, I mean, you got two teams, both with chips on their shoulders, one with a chip on his shoulder, historically Ohio State going against uh, Clemson, and uh, both feel like they were shortchanged. It's, I think it's gonna, it promises to be a great game. It's, I can't wait. Uh, it's gonna be a really fun month talking about these
3: matchups because, y- as you keep alluding to, the recruiting rankings and the you know star power of the roster. These are two fully developed powerhouses. They, there's no, I think in sixteen that sixteen game, Ohio State was. They're a little bit prematurely. After yeah. They lost all those dudes off 15. They left early. They had a, a great season uh, with one hiccup, and then got blown off. I don't think that team was ready. Clemson was hitting its stride. They had uh, a otherworldly quarterback. Uh, even though Deshaun Watson had thrown a few picks that year, we've yeah. all seen the the quarterback he is. Um, Ohio State. I'm not making any hindsight excuses. I wrote it the day of the day it happened. They were there a year early and look out for the next year because so many young guys run this. That's not the case. Ohio state has fifth year seniors. They've got seniors. They've got juniors. They've got sophomores who have played a bunch of games, been through wars. There will be no excuse in this one. Yeah. These are two toe to toe Titans. Uh, and as I said early on in your podcast, I think the winner is going to win the national championship.
2: Dude, we were almost there. We were almost done, and then you opened up another Kilaway. Right, well, we got next week. We got next you know, week. You opened up another killaway event, now there's lava coming down that thing. And <laughs> and I would sit here and respond to what you just said. I'll just say ditto okay. at this point because we're going to definitely talk <laughs> yeah. about it. Headed in, I think it's going to be a great matchup. You know, before we go, I, I promise you I wanted to give a a uh, address where some of you people have expressed interest to me via the uh, Twitter and even email about how you could maybe join in and, and m- not match $160, which I'm going to be given. Uh, some people have expressed matching it dollar for dollar, but heck, 10%, 16 bucks. It's going to a hellaciously great uh, yeah. fund, Absolutely. the uh, Ryan and Christina Day Fund, which looks into pediatric and adolescent, uh, basically mental illness challenges, problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, wow, you know, I was taken with that when they first announced it. And I'm not trying to get any points here with uh, <laughs> with Ryan Day. But when I started my cup I didn't want this to go to uh, the Letterman Row. you know, Christmas beer fund. Farting. Yeah, <laughs> because as you can see by the cooler there, somebody's providing joint greatly for that. But uh, anyway, the address is uh, if you want to if you want to join in with this and you can send any amount you want, uh, you can make a check payable, like I said, to the Ryan and Christina Day Fund. But the address is Letterman Row, 22 East Gay Street, 22 East Gay Street, Suite 701, Suite 701, Columbus, Ohio, 43215. 43215. That's uh, Letterman Row, 22 East Gay Street, Suite 701, Columbus, Ohio, 43215. And it's a great way to get into the Christmas spirit. In the next two weeks, we'll see what comes in the mail. Maybe a lot, maybe a little. Either way, it's a, it, it's helping out uh, a tremendously great uh, endeavor, in my opinion, the Ryan and Christina Day Fund. Boston, as always, it's thank, been a slice, my man. Thank you for this having me. This one was a really big, thick slice <laughs> of chocolate pecan pie. Have you had well, that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sounds, I want some right now. Uh, you, I, I had that from a Cracker Barrel. I bought a whole one, and, and I expected everybody to dig into it. Now I had to whittle away at it before <laughs> Thanksgiving because uh, no one else would go <laughs> into it. I go, "You're missing a treat." That sounds pretty phenomenal. Yeah, right maybe now. Cracker Barrel will send us a check just for me you, mentioning that. Yeah, come, come on down,
3: Cracker Barrel. We're yeah, looking for exactly. more sponsors for the podcast. But
2: we'll be back next week, and I got to make a quick quick trip to Texas. I'll be back, and uh, and we'll be talking about more of what I think is going to be a great bowl matchup: Ohio State, Clemson. And other developments throughout the college football landscape, including there are some coaching searches going on out there.
3: And I'll be right back from the Heisman. So
2: yeah, we got.
3: Yeah. By the well, way, I'm voting on a, the Heisman. Dropping a little hint there, huh? I'm
2: voting on the Heisman now for the 35th straight year. I'll I'll let you know how I voted next week. All right, let's do it, ladies and gentlemen. Until next week, this is Tim May for Boston Ward. Thanks for joining us on the Tim May podcast.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to. FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets